0: (laughs) You guys stop kissing me. And welcome, everybody, to episode 19 of Digesting Cinema with Aaron and Christina. I'm your host, Aaron, and as always, I'm joined by my host, Christina. And this week, we are covering movies under a million dollars and our choice, 1996's Swingers, directed by Douglas Lyman, written and starring John Favaro, as well as Vince Vaughn. Before we hop into the, or swing into this movie, I can't believe I fucked that up. Before we swing into this movie, I'm over to my fellow host, Christina. It's been a long time. We sound like we're podcasting all the time now together. How are you?
1: I'm just so excited that it's just me and you again. To really like soak in this movie together. As much as I love having guests on, it is nice when it's just the two of us.
0: Yeah, we love our guests. There is something special about when it's just you and I. Just a couple of podcasters talking about swinging, you know, talking about swingers.
1: Speaking of swingers, do you want our synopsis first and then just jump right in?
0: Let's hold off. I know we're eager because it's been a while since it's just the two of us. It's a great
1: synopsis. It's one single sentence.
0: (laughs) What were your kind of thoughts on this movie once we picked it? What were your assumptions about this movie going into it.
1: I mean, I like Vince Vaughn. I like John Favreau. So I was like, okay, I'm in. And I thought there was to be swinging in it. So I just assumed that there was just going to be a lot of people banging everybody. And that was going to be the movie. And it was just going to be ridiculous and funny and a lot of doing it is what I thought. Because I don't read synopses before I watch them. I just watch them.
0: So it's interesting. I have a very interesting relationship with swingers. For one, it kind of looks like another movie by John Leguizamo that came out also, I believe, in 1996 called The Pest. I saw The Pest growing up and it's like a very weird like parody movie like like not good so I always just like combine these two together personal problem I know but <laughs> the other thing is that Vince Vaughn was in another movie that kind of just looked a lot like this it was called Made and Made also had John Favreau in it and if I had to guess it seems like these are kind of like spiritual sequels to each other because Swingers is all about actors who've kind of, or people who've failed, gone out to LA, whether it's for acting or modeling or, you know, and had failures in relationships or otherwise. And then Made is kind of about two guys who are out, you know, and trying to make it at all. But those are the two movies I got confused with. I thought it was about two guys who just got laid a bunch and went out and were trying to get laid. That's why I thought it was called Swingers. I think we'll, I'll kind of get into my thoughts about why the title is what it is maybe later in the movie. But now, the moment we've all been waiting for, the synopsis, and then we're hopping on in or swinging on in.
1: One. The synopsis mm-hmm. of one single sentence, a wannabe actor has a hard time moving on from a breakup, but he is lucky to have supportive friends.
0: Wow. I mean, there's oversimplification and rose-colored glasses, and then there's there's the swingers' synopsis from mine, right. apparently. That's crazy. Another one that maybe gives a little more detail, I'll just read the letterbox synopsis. Okay. First of all, it has a great tagline. Get a nightlife. Uh, and then, Yeah, great tagline. Very 90s and just like zing. Uh, after six years together, Mike's girlfriend leaves him. He travels to LA to be a star. Six months on, he's still not doing very well. So a few of his friends try to help reconnect him to the social scene and hopefully help him forget about his failed relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely like, much better.
0: And honestly, like with that synopsis, I would have been sold on this movie a long time ago. You know, right away, I'm uncomfortable with how much I related to Mike, like
1: very uncomfortable. I think, though, that, like, Mike's the part of ourselves that we didn't really want, like, we don't ever want to admit it. Like, when you go through a breakup like that, especially when it seems abrupt or it's this long-term thing or you're the one that's essentially getting rejected, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And it hurts a lot. And it's not even, you know, you're facing rejection, which is never fun to be around. And then you're just leaving this life that you are already comfortable with. And then, you know, we know it. Something funny happens. Who do you want to call? Something bad happens. Who do you want to call? And you can't, like, reach out to that person and it's this movie depicted all of the things that like we never want to admit to ourselves like I would never act like that like yes we've all acted like this we've all been truly that sad and pathetic and it
0: jumps ourselves. you right into it Ron Livingston also in this movie and Ron Livingston yeah. my favorite character in this movie actually I think he's the real best friend of Mike I don't think Trent Vaughn's character is Mike's best friend. I think this is the real best friend of him. And they just, they have some incredible conversation throughout the movie. I mean, when he's talking about being goofy, he's like, man, like I couldn't be like Like, first of all, imagine being an actor, you move out to LA, you're gonna be a star. And then reality hits real fast. And all of a sudden, you're just another face. LA, it's like the land of rejections. You're going to an audition, most likely going to be turned down for the role. One person gets it. And it's just like, I'm going to like have to call my mother and like tell her I'm goofy and to send more money for me. Like, and it's just like, but they're in the diner right away. And yes. you get Mike's character fully immediately almost he's just like so i have to pretend to forget about her and then eventually she'll come back and then i'll remember her and then he's like ah no it kind of works the opposite like pretend to forget about her and then eventually you i what do you remember what he said exactly
1: It's the age-old tale of like once you move on is when they come crawling back i mean it's all been there right it's like they know it's like an alarm goes off or it's like i'm finally moving on with Mm -hmm. even if it's not without, you know, without a person, I'm moving on with my life. Something's good happening for me professionally. Something's good happening for me emotionally. Or I did meet somebody else and boom, what happens? Your phone is a ring And they're like, I missed you. And it's like, Taylor's as old as time. We've all been there. It's from
0: 1996. And I've said within the last six months without getting too much into my own personal history, she knows. It's like yep. she knows. Yep. It's just like, it's even if they're not connected to you there's an aura of happiness that is picked up somewhere in that ether that then all of a sudden you have you're at a crossroad where you have to make your decision with your new maybe relationship oh am i gonna take 10 steps back here after finally getting myself out of this i know that after every single breakup i've had there's been at least a certain period of time where i've decided i have to be miserable right now i need to not do anything to take myself out of that misery and it always goes too long which is when friends come in and are like yo dude it's been six months you haven't left the yeah, It's just like, we all know how quick time can pass over this last year. It's right. like, we're all going to be Mike going back out and, into the scene dating and or not. Had,
1: like that sad apartment where it's like, wasn't really a home. It was just kind of where he slept and it was all the white walls and nothing was decorated. But I mean, I'm very similar. Like I was never like, Oh, let's just date this person and this person and this person and this person. Like when a relationship ended for me, like I needed my own personal time. And definitely there was some wallowing that maybe looking back. I'm like, that was pointless. Cause uh, I can, I can
0: certify that my wallowing has been super pointless and And way elongated.
1: I can even resonate with him being like, I know you're tired of hearing me talk about this, but it consumes you that kind of that pain and the what ifs just you just miss them and you miss stupid things. And that's just like all consuming, especially when things in your life aren't going your way. Anyway, it's not like he was making it big and acting. So like this, his whole focus was literally like, why isn't this girl calling me?
0: yeah exactly also there was no distraction of a successful career or anything at this point he had been going out to auditions and not doing well just the typical non-success Hollywood story that's the actual story of Hollywood that most people don't want to think about especially when they're heading out there themselves and he wasn't telling his parents about it like all of his friends were also struggling they're like yeah have you gone any have you even gotten late since you've been out you're like they all looked like they kind of were living the dream and Trent is like the hugest example of that of like no matter what, just say it's always all good. Even if it's like, you could have his leg chopped off and he's like, it's all good. It's money, baby. I'm ready to run a marathon. Ready to win an ass-kicking contest. Like he is like the edge. He's the bad side of believing in yourself too much for sure. When Mike gets back to his apartment, he gets to Trent's message and he hears it at first and then he kind of skips over it. Waiting for that message from his ex-girlfriend saying like, oh, I love you again. Like, come back to me. Gets to the end, then goes and decides, all right, now I'll talk to Trent. And, like, because calls Trent. Yeah, it didn't
1: um, seem like... Because Ron Livingston's character, Rob, they were friends from home. Right. And it kind of to me, it seemed like Trent was like somebody he met once he got out here. So it was just like an L.A. buddy. He's the guy you go to when you want to party. He's not like your you know, ride or die best friend. But And Trent's a good time. He's a good Trent's time great.
0: but any time that Mike tried to talk about anything that was of substance any he'd be like, oh god, no, like deny, 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 push it away, push it away. Like, he never lives in reality he's like treating these waitresses like shit. And he's like, look at how much she like that, but there's dudes like this who have success in this game. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's like they're you know, it's like if you're just looking for a good time, if you're not looking for anything attached and not having to worry about, oh, is he gonna call me? Is he gonna pop? Trent's your guy, like right. Trent is your guy. He's not, he is interested in numbers, baby, whether it's popularity or women he slept with. It's all about the numbers here, it's all about. I also like how Mike talked to his answering machine. You know, he's like, I'm going to go to it. He's like, are you sure? Have you thought this through? He's like, yes. I like, it's just like. A and I think goal. that.
1: Opening like 20 30 minutes of this movie just sets the tone so well because if you totally know who Mike is pretty much from the diner, mm-hmm. you totally know who Trent is because Vegas, baby, we're going to there's, Vegas. Like, yeah,
0: like isn't this LA movie started, this and this movie started this like in the middle of the 90s? Vegas was not what it is today, right. Vegas was like a shithole, and like it wasn't cool to go to Vegas, and like it was a cheap destination for people. And like the Vegas baby has translated to so much entertainment at this point, friends did it like the. Vegas baby thing is like still to this day people are like
1: Vegas baby right.
0: and it came from this movie which was definitely interesting they're you know going Vegas baby in the car what were your thoughts on the car trip
1: so when it first happened and they were doing it because I live like 45 minutes away from Atlantic City so like I live near <laughs> like the JV Vegas so like when I was younger in my late 20 or my early 20s we'd be like all right let's go to AC bitches like, <laughs> yeah. but for us it's pack your shit 45 minutes were there they live Good. in LA it's like a few hours I'm pretty confident to get from LA to Vegas so you're like yeah because that's how they start in the car like Vegas baby we're yeah, gonna yeah. do this But eventually it's like we're not there yet like it kind of like kills the vibe when I was like Mike already has no vibe so Trent-
0: and not only that but they're talking about Vegas like amateurs I was thinking before they got there oh, I'm like,
1: they had they no see- idea what they were ben, doing they have never been to Vegas
0: yeah, when we get there, I, we'll talk about the blackjack table because as a poker player, as a professional gambler, in a sense, oh my God, I couldn't yeah. imagine. John being Favreau
1: with- being obsessed with the suit. Like, you're not going to have a suit on? Like, I'm not even getting out of the car unless you're wearing a suit. Like, we need to be in a suit. They'll think that we have money. They're going to give us free stuff. That's how it works. And mm-hmm. I'm like, where are you getting this information from? Like, that's also, how it
0: that, works. <laughs> first of all, that is how Vegas works when you have a lot of money.
1: Yes, when you actually
0: $300 do.
1: $300 is
0: what <laughs> her plan was to convince everybody they're a high roller. So yeah, the suit, in, getting dressed in the suit in the car, just classic comedic moment. The fact that this movie not once... As I watch this movie, I think this movie looks cheap. I couldn't believe this was done for a million dollars. I think it was
1: 800000 was there, about that.
0: Yeah. Doug Lyman, who now does, I believe, uh, Mission Impossible movies or Born. I'll look it up here in a minute. But Doug Lyman is like a high action director. He shot this, financed it. And there's a couple of spots where clearly they're talking from a green screen, particularly in the casino. They clearly were talking with him in front of a green screen, not actually in a casino there. But other than that, I think that the shooting in the direction style of this movie is so energetic and creative and not cheap well they made
1: reference basically about filming in a casino later in the movie which was also pretty brilliant i'm like why would anybody like no one would actually you know do that or like i you know give props to people that do
0: yeah it was straight up just a meta commentary on how they were shooting the movie themselves brilliant they do the homage to reservoir dogs as well they talk about Quentin Tarantino and how he's derivative, which now at this point, people have accepted, and even Quentin Tarantino has admitted, but I'm not sure in, like, 1996, that no, was
1: a fiction had just come out, like, a couple years beforehand, which is, like, probably Yeah,
0: and, and it's like, today. but every single one of Tarantino's work is derivative. He would not deny that himself. So, yeah, I think those conversations are just, like, some of my favorite conversations. There's just a naturalness to this movie that I was not anticipating yeah. throughout, which I really appreciated. So we get to Vegas, get to the high roller table where, first of all, like everybody knows you put the money down on the table. Like it's not, a dr- you don't just like well, hand it. Like, you
1: got like the old man there with clearly his sugar babies and like a red dress.
0: Yeah. And he's just like, oh, finally, I'm making yeah. some money. He's, like stacking up like a thousand dollar bet. Like, right. as he's, doing it, just, and he's
1: like, like having trouble counting all of it. Because They're just like all looking sense,
0: at him, like all like, including the dealer, just like.
1: Well, the best part is he previously was like, "I'm only betting a hundred dollars because I just don't have any money," and then gets there and gets peer pressured by himself because no one peer pressured him. You just felt the pressure. I was like, "Here's three hundred dollars," and like the yeah. dealer had to instruct him on what to do. But I mean, that part to me makes sense. Of like, I remember the very first time I went to a casino when I turned twenty-one. I mean, I didn't go to the high roller table because I was poor and I'm not an idiot. But Wait. like, I mean, the dealers do. A assist you if needed but it's also like you would think at that point if you're rolling up in the suit and you're trying to act like you know what you're doing you just totally blew it with not knowing that you put the money on the table which is like gambling 101
0: and he gets three black chips and he's like yeah. oh you got anything smaller he's like this is a high roller table do yes. you want to go over to a regular table where they like show the most regular gamblers of all time that you could ever see like cowboy hat old woman like, yes. <laughs> like that's what every five dollar bet a blackjack table looks like uh, and it's <laughs>
1: <just> <laughs> wins and they're like can we get you some breakfast time yeah
0: she's like oh i'll I'll treat myself and so he doubles down on the 20 on the 15 at the high roller table he's like i don't want to double
1: on the 11
0: yeah but you have to double down on 11 it's one of the only parts of that scene that he did correctly was doubling down on that 11 it's not his fault he got a seven and then the fucking dealer got a four card 21 like you gotta live with that like as a gambler like i'm like you shouldn't even be mad at that like you made the right choice You just lost. but so now he's at the the low roller table they're there for a minute and like you know the woman is basically living his dream of getting comped breakfast buffet at that not quite a room but still like she's having the time of her life she didn't double down on her 11 and got a 21 with, like, five cards or something. Like, it. it was, like, she hit on a 17, and one of the parts that did bother me was the people at the table were clapping as she had a 17. If you hit on a 17, we're playing against the fucking dealer, okay, lady? Like, you are taking away bust cards there. So, like, I didn't quite buy that anybody, because, like, when you're at a table and someone's making bad choices, like, you don't get excited about it. But it adds a comedic effect. Then they're cashing out, and Trent's like, oh, $20, minus the first table, where you lost 200 dollars so it's like Trent just his refusal throughout this movie if I was his friend it would be the thing I loved at first about him how he doesn't live in reality and then would quickly be the reason I got rid of him and hated him because I'd be like dude I lost 180 bucks I didn't win 20 and what happened with you He's like uh I love that one But I got it. Like you don't know what to believe with him. You don't really see him
1: play anything either. So you could No, he's always standing behind
0: him, him, behind Mike, telling Mike to do shit. Right.
1: Spending Mike's money.
0: Right, exactly. And trying to Just coat on the coattails of him and get the clout that was never coming to them.
1: All right, and then we meet our first—I don't know if I want to call them love interests or you know people that Trent wanted to bone. I guess is the way to say. More accurate. She was cute, and Trent just assumed that like she wanted to be like manhandled and treated poorly. But I guess it kind of worked out because they still met up with him at the Bamboo Lounge at six oh one with a friend, and then went back to that trailer together. So clearly, he thinks it works when you treat women poorly, and this. is why we as women need to band together and not tolerate this behavior.
0: And, and I mean, if it didn't work, it wouldn't still exist in 2021. It does work. That's the thing. And it works on a certain type of woman. And I mean, she's a Vegas waitress working the 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift at a casino, living in a trailer. I'm not saying any one of these things individually makes you a bad person or makes you maybe questionable with your judgment, but I think these were kind of placed in there to maybe set up a little bit of... Of the character and judgment overall. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it was definitely the stereotypical cocktail waitress. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they went for with this, and I think they achieved it.
0: But, yeah, I mean, and, you know, Vince Vaughn, he's very tall. Was so handsome in this movie, too. He like
1: was. I was he... like, am I into Vince Vaughn and John Favreau? Because, like, I'm yeah. not into them in real life. But in this movie, I am a little bit, and I felt very strange about that.
0: It's very clear that when you're rich, your face gets fatter. Because yeah. both of <laughs> guys have, like, twice as big of a face as they did in this movie like it's like jarring like i'm like wow Just when
1: you get fat your face gets fatter i don't think it has anything to do with money
0: well i mean either way we're not digesting alcoholism on this podcast but it seems like there might be a little bit of that in these guys because they got booze face now both of them both of them got booze face. <laughs> oh but- my god that's okay. Yeah, it, it's just the whole Vegas scene, I just think was hilarious, though. it And just when Mike is bursting through to the room and Trent thinks he needs a condom. No, of course not. He's been talking about his ex girlfriend with the one right. he was supposed to just be there to hook up with. Like, and, you know, it's like I haven't quite been to that extent before, but I definitely have been in situations where I possibly could have had some romantic advances and I ruined them by bringing up my past or You're not talking. being. Yeah. I know, oversharing about an ex has happened on more than one date for me and it definitely then it's gone wrong and i've been like oh 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 that was it i'm not gonna ruin this podcast by bringing her up gonna be strong (laughs) all right and moving on from vegas now uh we get back to la after our trip to Vegas, which for Trent, I'm sure he said is a rousing success and achieved everything he wanted. He got laid and didn't lose any money because he didn't risk any money. Mike was just like, why did I do this? But they're back. We're now over at their friend Sue's house, played by Patrick Van Horn. Never really seen this guy in anything before, because, which is interesting because there's a lot of familiar faces, the Ron Livingstons, the Heather Graham's, the. John Favreau's Vince and Sue was an interesting character for sure. Another kind of failure in LA who's just trying his best to appear in a certain way, but not really possessing those true characteristics, but wanting the appearance of it. It's kind of a running theme for a lot of the characters in this and just LA overall. Particularly the scene I really liked. I loved watching them play NHL 94 which I know this seems like a very small scene, but I just think it was something that wasn't quite done in movies yet to this point of showing kind of how guys would hang out together and just like get into these just like little kind of arguments that weren't about the game, but kind of about more than the game. And then they end up like fighting on the ground. I just thought like this is like a nice little scene where all these guys shows their
1: dynamic in the sense of like Mike is still kind of like not totally in the friend group because it was like, all right, the food's here. Like Mike, you go get it. And then it it was like no give me money no no just pay for it da, da, da. and i was like fine pause the game pause the game and then vince vaughn doesn't pause the game and then he makes wayne gretzky bleed and then it's like now they're gonna wrestle and i'm like oh my god this is that part to me felt like it wasn't in a movie like that felt like so real and authentic like that's exactly that's what how things would happen.
0: yeah and that's why i like in this movie that's 96 minutes it still takes time to have a scene that really doesn't impact the plot but impacts the characters and your right. dynamics and just like you can see like trent and sue they're sitting on the couch and like Mike is on like a lawn chair like on the floor like it's the like chair that the third friend at the sleepover gets because the two best friends get the couch and the controller. Right. He's like, "Oh, I never get to play." Like, I really like that scene. It really lets you know how these big players are just little boys, really just scared little boys in with their big fancy hair and acting like they got their shit together. And it like goes into the scene, which again, it's so interesting with this podcast, how often we get to see patterns reemerge in this movie. Once again, a gun is used as a symbol of masculinity and by it's brought out by Sue when they get into the altercation outside of the club, when they're going from party to party, which we'll talk about.
1: It's always so weird where there it's like, I've never been to like somebody's house party that I don't know who they are. To me that it was like, let's just go to the bar. Like there's all of these people. There's hundreds of people at this house right now. Now, nobody like seems to know whose house it is. And they're like, you know, we got to pregame this. So we got to pregame. And then we got to go to the bar. And then we got to go to this party. And then they're like gathering people along the way because every place is dead. So like, so this, is, like
0: this whole scene and the whole party atmosphere and their whole objectives with the party and going to all these parties, it reminded me, especially Mike's feelings with it, so much of me in high school or college. I never was the big party person. I always had to be convinced to go to parties. And every time I went to them. It felt like I didn't know anybody for one. So it really didn't make a difference if I did or didn't know anybody. And for two, like, I always felt like it was a waste of time at the end of the night.
1: All right. So they go to this party. They don't know anybody. And then one of the other things is Vince Vaughn sees this redhead and he wants to talk to her and then it was this big thing of like don't look at her I want to go talk to her and then Mike comes over and he looks at her and he's like great now I have to go over there and talk to her and then he talks to her and decides that he doesn't like her at all still asks for her number even though that doesn't need to happen and casually rips it in half in front of his buddies like he's so cool like yeah I'm not even gonna call that girl and Mike was like then why the fuck did you ask for her number then like if you have no intention of calling her what was the point of even asking you have just left the conversation and it just shows the dynamics of like mike is truly just a good dude looking for somebody to love and trent is just like out here for sport and it doesn't really
0: matter and it's a great point he's looking for love and deep connection in one of the most shallow cities in the world in la where it's where it's like people are asking like what kind of car do you drive like you know it's just like and that is just accepted i live in washington dc where I can remember regularly when I'd go out as a single person that the first or second question was always "What do you do?" And I was just like, "What a weird question to ask right off the bat." But it's like that's what's measured in DC. It's like your professional profile, your professional worth, who you work for, what senator or whatever. And if you don't, then and with this, it was like, "What can you offer me? What? How much do you have? Who do you know?" What parties yeah. can you get into?
1: Right. And that was her opening line. Mm-hmm. Like, she went, I was like, Hey ladies, how are you tonight? And her response was, what, what car do you have? What kind of car do you drive?
0: Yeah. And I can tell you, it's really hard when you are an individual who's single or looking for somebody and you're more interested in establishing the deeper connections. When it's a person who's not interested in deeper connections that comes across as two things to that person, either corny and cheesy or just stupid, and like they can't even understand why you would want to get to know them as a person. It's like, right. So, again, like a lot of this movie just gave me vibes like of college and of like in college when you just kind of follow the crew and follow the crowd and don't really do things for yourself. And it's just transferred into man children in this movie.
1: So after the party, they go to, like, a late night bar. Or they're leaving the party. They're all walking. This other group bumps into them. And it's like, like, watch where you're going, bitch. And it's like, I will or whatever. So then they get to an altercation. <laughs> like, the other crew is definitely more in shape. Like, our crew is about to get their asses handed to them and no one is like really backing sue up because sue is the one that's getting into the altercation and basically just like the word bitch is thrown around like several times and eventually Mm -hmm. sue just like whips out a gun out of nowhere and then the other crew just drives away yeah trent and mike were like what are you doing like why do you have a gun like why do you need that and basically like like they didn't want to be friends with him anymore because he had a gun
0: yeah and he was like and, and he was like oh i'm from la and they're like you're from anaheim And it's like there's this constant thread within this friend group of people other than Mike being so unwilling to be themselves and then in turn ridiculing Mike for so being himself and actually talking about his feelings and actually talking about how things affect him and actually trying to do things for his own like desires. And that being ridiculed by this group of people who are a bunch of fake wannabes, interestingly enough.
1: Yeah, it was just, they always, one of them has to be, they want to be liked. They want to be the popular one of the group. So it was like, who's the alpha male? Who's the one that's dominating the situation? And a lot of the times it's Vince Vaughn, like he's the charismatic one. But yeah, like he was like, you know, there's a threat. It's threatening to live in LA. And he's like, bro, I'm from New York. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I know, no, this is not threatening here. Like, You're not, boi- like, not snooped off. Really
0: you're not right. Snoop dog. like it's Dogg. just like, what? Well, you gotta shoot them if they step up on you? Yeah, right. it's it's just another the continuing theme through a lot of this movie be pertain to be something you're not
1: so then we get into a a really deep conversation i i really enjoy this conversation between mike and rob so again i it seems that rob is actually the really good friend where we get through the goofy thing of like he gets offered to play goofy and he doesn't want to play goofy and he's like how am i supposed to call my mom and tell her that it's not even donald duck and then they get circle back into the relationship because rob knows he knew them as a couple so i believe the ex-girlfriend's name was michelle so he knew mike and michelle together and he was like you know bud like you left like you didn't like you know at this point like why should she call? And, you know, Ron Livingston says one of my, I think my favorite lines is, you know, it's hard to let go of the pain. Like you wind up missing the pain also. And it's like, well, why is like, because you've lived with that so long, like it eventually that pain, that misery, that sorrow becomes a part of you. And when it's like, you're afraid to let it go. Because it's become your identity for so long, and you, like it almost brings you comfort to have that there. Is like that's like your thing. Like I'm the sad person. I'm the I'm sad over my breakup. I'm missing her. Like that's my identity now.
0: And once you let go of that pain, there's nothing left of that person. It goes back to that first conversation where it's like you've forgotten. You've forgotten about him eventually, and that fear of having forgetting that is like. Too much for people, I think, at some point, because they'd rather have that than nothing at all, they believe. Um, Yeah, I just, I mean, yeah, the moments with Rob, who Ron Livingston's character was, I think, are the strongest dramatic moments, uh, most sharply written moments in this movie. But, you know, I am glad that the friend we spend most of the time with is Trent. We get into, yeah. uh, we get into a reason this is really called Swingers. I think there's a couple of reasons this is called Swingers. One, shout out to Big Bad Voodoo Daddies. They were in this movie, Zoot Zoot Riot. We're, do you remember the swing revival of 1997 with Brian yeah. Setzer Orchestra and Big Bad Voodoo Daddies and the Cherry Poppin' Daddy? Like, swing, swing music, definitely the part of this movie that aged the worst. Swing, not a thing anymore, <laughs> like... The swing revival lasted a year, and that is definitely the part of this movie that has aged it the most. But I love that it was big bad voodoo daddies who play there. I love the thematic kind of symbolism behind Mike getting to dance there and being viewed dancing. It's like him finally taking those next steps to relive. Yeah, he rejoin. It.
1: Absolutely. This is where he meets Heather Graham. Mm-hmm. And he, we've seen him fail with a few other women throughout the movie where he's been trying to put himself out there. The one girl like called him out for applying to work at Starbucks and he like called her on the phone several times. Yeah, we missed yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's go back to that real he quick. Her that is- on the
1: phone repeatedly. So we see him try to branch out. Like we see him, we see the evolution of Mike. We see him just totally talk about his ex with the one girl in person. We see him kind of meet this girl, gets blown off and is like, I'm going back in, gets the number and just awkwardly calls her over and over and over again. To to like explain, like he tries to leave his number. The machine cuts off, calls back, and then like explains why he keeps calling. I think he called her like five or six times, and six eventually times. she answers and is like, "Forget my phone number. Like, don't ever call me again." And, yeah. you're just and like, the
0: oh, equivalent what? of this today is the guy who sends six or seven Instagram DMs, but he can unsend those before she opens it or reads it or like. Right. But it's like in the middle of those yaws, like it's so much more embarrassing with it being on the phone and him being like, "Oh well." How much of it did you hear? And, like, the amount of waffling he does going back and forth there, like, it's, like, towards, like, the last latter halves of the messages. He's, like, you know what? This is actually my decision. I don't want this to – Right. She's, like – Like, literally, she – he did her a favor by doing all that, like, avoiding her having to get into that, I'm sure. But it's just, like, yeah, there's just no – the answering machine scenes are so strong. Maybe just like well, this. Also, a-
1: like now, okay. Put that in 2021. If somebody's calling me off the hook, you can block their number. I can put my phone on silent. I'm not disturbed in the middle of the night.
0: It's not in so, my home. Yeah,
1: right. This is my home phone, and I'm hearing this man. And also, if you decided to leave me several voicemails, I don't hear them unless I go to look at my voicemail. So you're at home, your phone's ringing off the hook. You're hearing this male voice on your answering machine. So well, you didn't want to give your number
0: two in the first place but you right,
1: didn't. so we see his progression so to that towards the end of the movie when he finally meets heather graham it's still a little awkward but they decide they're gonna dance and it's honestly a great scene they kill it music's popping they're killing it and it's just basically like you finally see him come out of his shell and it's like the weight is literally lifted off of his shoulder in this moment meets this girl They hit it off. He gets her number. And one thing I did appreciate is he actually like hung it up on the calendar of like, okay, I'm not going to call her yet. Like I'm going to wait the appropriate days that my friends had told me about previously in the movie Mm -hmm. and his phone rings and we're like, oh, well maybe it's Heather Graham calling him and she's the one that couldn't wait. And lo and behold because he had finally forgotten about her ding 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 it's the ex-girlfriend calls him on the phone to t- say all the things he's been wishing to hear
0: so just oh that's and my we've all
1: been there i know yeah. i've been there
0: yeah it's so relatable and it's just like ugh, like now really like you just you're so on mike's side at this point you hate her for doing it, you hate the position it's putting Mike into. You're like, no, like you're finally like it's Heather Graham, bro. Like, come on, like just stay
1: focused. Yeah. So you know what? I applaud his strength because then the call waiting comes in and it's Heather Graham's character, and he decides to tell Michelle, "Okay, I got to go. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore." And that to me is like that shows it because I know throughout my life I took the bait a lot when my phone would ring or that text would come in. I took the bait a lot of times. So. For him to basically reject it the first time is a lot. It's also probably just metaphorical of the movie. Finally is ready to move on. But, and that's what he does. And the movie ends full circle back at the same diner. But this time he's with Trent and explaining like, no, I just didn't want to call her back. Like I didn't want to talk to her anymore. And I just really loved that the movie came full circle like that back in the same diner. Basically, it came, talking about, yep, it came swinging around. They were essentially talking about the same situation, but obviously Mike was in a much better place. And it, that part of his life has been resolved. And he's now ready to, to move forward.
0: Yeah. It's just like a perfect little 90, 96-minute movie. trudges yep. into so many different realms. Uses a lot of different shooting styles creatively uses its budget here. This movie could have easily been blown out into like a Vegas extravaganza where like there were tons. I mean, it was very minimal yet at no point felt like it was missing anything, which I loved and yeah the name swingers it's something i kept thinking about through the movie why it was called that because it's like they weren't swinging couples they're swingers because like i think if you're out in la there's a bit of your character that just is a swinger like it's meaning it swings for the fence goes for it like you do not go out to la and try to become a star because you're not going for it because you don't believe in yourself because you don't put yourself out there you know, take your shots and you know it could be swingers with relationships swingers with jobs swingers with going from new york to la whatever it is but i think that's really what the meaning of the title was for me i don't know if you even kind of had any thoughts about why you think it was called swingers no nah, like,
1: maybe it's because he likes swing music so he's a swinger it could just be
0: that i mean it works on a few levels it's just it's a really interesting title for a movie And I think this has aged tremendously. Obviously, the catchphrases not quite, but that makes it. Yeah, it's so money.
1: It was so money.
0: I mean, I can remember people using money for like two, three years now. Like this is money, baby. Call them baby. Oh, you're you're good. Let's go catch these babies. Like the way Trent talked about women post Me Too movement. Oh God. Oh yeah. Oh, he's just like there's beautiful babies. We gotta go. Like. Can you imagine someone talking like I do know people who talk like China in 2020, but or 2021, but they're horrible, horrible individuals.
1: Yeah, I think it make, not great either.
0: I just can't imagine referring to women I was pursuing as beautiful babies. Like it's just so gross. But that's my final thoughts on swingers. I don't know if you have any more before we get into their ratings.
1: No, I'm ready. Let's do this right
0: we've just been swinging along here i mean i went out of order in the plot as i always do and you were able to just adjust to it so well at this point (laughs) you don't even like let me know you just like all right well there i have to go back to the answering machine scene because aaron decided to skip over that juice elevator style he just couldn't wait but this is what we get we uh it's you know it's always a different digestion and i think once again this is a episode this conversation this episode really encapsulates the energy that is in swingers so i just kind of love how we always are able to find a way to replicate the movie in a way through the conversation we have but i'll go ahead and give my final thoughts and rating first for this one if that's okay Yep. yeah we both really like this movie i don't think that's a secret i was really impressed by how well it's aged as well and Again, it being under a million dollars, it looked like a $50 million movie to me, seriously. And that is just a, really a tremendous credit to Doug Lyman. He's also done Edge of Tomorrow and Born Identity. So it was not a Mission Impossible. It was Born Identity. But yeah, he's gone on to do like a lot of action movies since then. But I think that he just really put all of his directing effort forward for this. And I really appreciate that. I liked Trent and Rob particularly, but I also did like Mike. And uh, Heather Graham, I really do think she's an underrated actress, honestly. I think she's really great in so many of these roles, and this one included. The message of when Mike finally was himself and shared maybe an interest. Which was swing dancing in this case. That's when he really got the connection. I think that's a great message put out there for everybody. You know, if you really want to be interested in someone, you know, share your interests, and you know, eventually being yourself is what's going to get you to the top. I'm going to give this movie a four out of five stars. I think it's very very solid. I love the um, smaller moments. Honestly, more than some of the bigger moments. There's a few points where it got a little bit cliche, and I do think even for '96 it got cliche. I don't think this was just it through my eyes, but overall I think it was a really important movie for John Favreau to write. I'm sure it's very autobiographical and to kind of see where all these characters and all these actors are at this point in their career, including the director. It's like this movie was such a launching point for so many. And uh yeah, it was just a really good time. I would go back to revisit this movie too. Uh four out of five.
1: Oh, perfect. I also really enjoyed this movie. I found it to be very relatable. I'm at a point in my life where I'm very happily married, but I know what that heartbreak is like. I know we've all been there. I feel like that's just like the human experience to have loved someone and lost it and you know, you know, and how we all deal with it. And some of us deal with it in a very pathetic way. And I think it's one of those things that we don't want to admit. I think it's a hard watch probably for some people to kind of see that to be like, oh my God, that's like how I am. But that's what makes us human. I think it's very relatable. We all have those friends that were kind of just friends with us, friends with them because they're there. You know, we all have the good time friends. We, at the same time as we have our actual good friends. So sometimes we just have the party friends. I know if I had friends that it was like, I only hung out with them because it was like, we would meet up at the bar together. Like, I don't actually care what's going on in your life. It was just, I knew on a Friday night, you would be down to come out. Um, so I think it's just, especially in your early 20s, this is just such a relatable thing. I think everybody can put their selves in Mike's position. And I just really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. I thought it was well paced. 96 minutes is perfect for this. I don't think it needed to be any longer. I think sometimes movies have the issue of just dragging on too much, probably like uh, this conversation right now. So I'm also going to give it four stars because I thought it was super fun. And yeah, thank God we watched something fun because the last couple of movies have been a snooze fest, literally. And this was a good time.
0: It was nice to be able to take you out and have a good time. So now we go from under a million to over $150 million for episode 20. We are 20 episodes into digesting cinema. Whoa. That is amazing. Happy 20th. I believe. Uh, the gift for this is paper, but I'm not sure. I, you know,
1: paper never- is the first anniversary. I think we're starting to get up into the gems. We're not oh. diamond status yet, though. Yeah, yeah,
0: maybe like a ruby. I don't know. I've never gone. I've never had to go this far with a podcast relationship before. so <laughs> You're my first. Either way, exiting, swinging out of that uh, awkward little uh, interlude plus 150 million dollar movies we've seen a lot of the good ones we were yeah. going through and at least we think we've seen the good ones maybe we're going to have a surprise i'm going to pick
1: seen a lot of the popular ones obviously yeah
0: i've seen we've seen a lot so a lot of the marvel a lot of the superhero in general those are out we do have a list of uh, about 6 to 8 movies that we're going to choose from i'm going to take my three choices and my three choices will be waterworld which i just re- don't know much about, but uh, I know from when I was a kid this is like the one of the biggest flops like ever. It would probably be a very funny conversation and uh, I honestly think next week is going to be a, a humorous one there's not a lot but there's a chance depending on what we choose. My next pick would be a very popular movie from the family community with certain people i've gotten every question wrong about this ever that i've been asked about because i've never seen this movie and never really had a reason wanting to but maybe i would find this more funny than a lot of people it's b movie uh starring jerry seinfeld uh first of all it's a pun for a movie title i don't think we've had that yet so uh to knock that off the list i doubt any women get punched in the face unless a a b lands on their face and then uh guy punches him trying to hit the B. So we'd avoid uh, domestic abuse. That's always good to try to do. And yeah, I think it could be, I don't think we've had too many or any animated films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have had no animated film. Animated. So what better animated film to start with than B movie? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna surprise some people with my last recommendation. It's from a franchise I've never seen one movie from, a franchise that every time it's brought up, I kind of get upset. Uh, If you don't know at this point, it's the Harry Potter franchise. None of the Harry Potter movies, however, because I haven't seen any of those yet, and I'm not planning to. But Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I would love to have an honest, open reaction to that movie, having no context from Harry Potter. I'm a huge Colin Farrell fan. Huge, huge Colin Farrell fan. I also like Eddie Redmayne. I'd be interested to see my, you know, virgin eyes from the Harry Potter franchise to view this movie. And maybe I have a take on this movie that most people who are fans of the franchise don't have. So maybe not having the connection to a previous work maybe causes me to enjoy this a little more. So my three are Waterworld, B movie and the fantastic beast and where to find them. So one from the nineties, one 2000, one 2010. What are your suggestions, Christina?
1: All right. I'm just going to go. I just, I'm going with movies truly that I just haven't seen. It's not necessarily that I've been dying to see them or that I think they're great. It's just, I looked at the list and was like, okay, these movies I haven't seen all the way through. I am going to go with Oz the Great and Powerful because I liked the original Wizard of Oz. I am also going to go with Pan because Peter Pan is one of my favorites But the face Aaron is making right now makes me think I shouldn't have suggested that one. Again, I don't know much about these movies. I didn't research them. And the last one, because I love Margot Robbie with like an absolute passion. I'm going to say The Legend of Tarzan.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, Those are three uh, movies. I have not seen any of those three. And I I don't believe you've seen any of my three.
1: I have not so, seen it in year three, but we are but, not going to crap all over Harry Potter. Okay. You know- I, was, I,
0: I was even going to throw that out right away. Like It would be really funny to just like have a live stream it, on. we do like, a
1: Harry Potter podcast and we can just crap all over it.
0: Yeah. I think maybe after digesting the fours Digesting Dr.
1: Hogwarts.
0: Digesting Hogwarts could really be in there. And I would be fascinated to eventually get to all these. So we'll throw that one out from my list. You got it. Let's get... So we're going to get rid of one from your list.
1: You didn't like Pan. You made a face, so we'll get rid of Pan.
0: Okay. So we're we're down to... For my list, I have B-Movie and Waterworld. And for your list...
1: We have Oz Great and Powerful and The Legend of Tarzan.
0: Okay. So now you're going to pick one from my list. I'm going to pick one from your list. And then we're going to debate those two. So would you like... Waterworld or B-movie to be your possible pick?
1: As much as I would love to see a movie that totally flopped, I think it would be really funny for us to talk about an animated movie. So I'm going to vote for Let's Watch B-movie.
0: Oh, my God. All right. And my choice is between – oh, my God. I Like, really? The Oz and the Great and Powerful are the legend of Tarzan.
1: Uh, yeah, I kind of gave you some crap on this one. These we'll are great. Watch.
0: Like, I've heard more negative things about – Oz and great and powerful. I've heard like literally like nothing about the Legend of Tarzan. So like I haven't heard if people dislike it or like it. I'm gonna you know what we're gonna be deciding between Oz the Great and Powerful, the sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time, Wizard of Oz, or B Movie. I'm going to go with. I'm curious. I I don't think I'll ever have a reason to watch this movie. So Oz Great and Powerful is actually. What I my recommendation is for this week. We uh, both. Seen, like, I don't think it's very good though. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I'm really scared with this one. Uh, Wizard of Oz is one that I believe we both love. I believe it's pretty much universally loved. Uh, and like, you kind of forget that a hundred and fifty plus million dollar Wizard of Oz movie came out within the last like what five ten years. Like, I mean, this might be an atrocity. I think B movie is the better movie though. What's your argument?
1: I think B movie will be is the better movie. And I think it would be funnier for us to talk about this because I believe that there's actually a love story between the bee and, and a human woman, which I also, think. Really
0: also, to to we, you said, I believe.
1: Yes. Uh, I already made a pun.
0: Yeah. And you know how much, I, if there's one thing I like more than my theories, go ahead and check out our uh, Blair Witch Project episode where I have the best theory of all time. It's puns. Go ahead and don't check out our Deep Blue Sea episode. But we need redemption. And I believe this is the B movie is our selection. So, B movie starring Gary Seinfeld and many other, uh, I believe Sarah Silverman. I don't even know who's in it. I don't, know I, don't know. Much, I don't know much about it, but I have a feeling that I love a good dad joke. I love a good pun. The dogs are ready for this to be wrapped up as well, as you can hear in the background. Chico and Murphy just cannot be more excited for the B movie. For So for our over $150 million movie, we avoided The Legend of Tarzan. We avoided Pan. We avoided the Oz the Great and Powerful. I think we're going with a decent... Maybe a sleeper hit in the B movie. I can't wait for us to finally have an animated movie. In all seriousness, I love animated. I believe you do as well. So 20 episodes in, it's well overdue. We don't need another serious movie. I know that uh, Swingers got us back into the swing of things, a little bit of fun. But we need to hammer home that fun. We had too many serious conversations the last few weeks. And it's time for us to get a little animated and have that sweet, sweet honey that is the B movie. So... B Movie is our selection for the plus $150 million episode. Christina, before we sign off, is there anything happening for you this week? Um, we obviously did. If you could, if you didn't know, we released our first episode of Digesting the Force on May 4th, where you are going through every Star Wars movie. You've not seen any of them. We nope. recorded we have recorded Empire Strikes Back. That will be released this upcoming next Friday, but May 14th, yep. uh, May 14th correct? But Besides that, anything else coming up for you?
1: No, I think I'm, I think I don't have much going on. Check out my fellow stars because we have matches coming up a lot in the Schmodown and uh, yeah, just keep, keep supporting your your people that you guys like and, you know, tell people about us.
0: And be nice, be nice. Like realize it's a game uh, maybe, but uh, yeah. Definitely nice to hear that you have a little bit of space in your schedule to maybe have a little bit of a life. What a concept. Hopefully, everybody else is uh, starting to return a little bit to their lives as well. Yeah, I don't have much coming up this week either. Definitely very proud of digesting The Force and how that has begun. I think that is a really special podcast, which hopefully you all are enjoying out there and getting to truly experience Star Wars through an adult's eyes who has not at all been... Uh, spoiled on really much of anything it's a truly unique experience and getting to have the range of her of uh, christina asking true star wars experts these crazy <laughs> questions and they are able to put it all together i don't know how they do it um but i'm starting to be convinced that star wars super fans are just geniuses because it's just crazy how they're able to handle this but yeah that's all that's on my list yeah we have we have to call it a night for tonight but For Aaron, for Christina, keep digesting cinema and keep swinging, getting worse and worse.